Welcome to Heart to Heart, a Horizon Produce podcast. My name is Christina Pearl, and in today's episode, we are sitting down with two of our counselors who have a strong focus, passion, and expertise on our women's services and programming here at Horizon. Specifically, we are going to talk about the importance of women's mental health during pregnancy and the postpartum period. We will learn more about the resources available not only to women, but additional resources available for the partners and families as well. Today, we are sitting down with two of our Horizon employees, and I would love for you both to introduce yourselves. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, My name is Amber Blanchard. Uh, I'm a mental health counselor. Uh, I specialize in perinatal mental health um, as well as trauma. I do EMDR. And I'm Diana Springer. I'm also a mental health counselor here at Horizon, also with a specialty in women's services and perinatal mental health. And I specialize also in acceptance and commitment therapy. Thank you both so much for sitting down with us today. Again, we are so thrilled to have this topic on today's episode because it is something we are constantly getting asked about. And a lot of people don't even realize the wide array of services that we provide to women. So I'm so looking forward to you sharing your expertise with us and the community today. Let's get started with some basic questions that I think um, would be really helpful for us to understand a little bit more, Mm -hmm. just from those that aren't as experienced, you know, with the women's services that we provide here and just like understanding the terminology. So perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, something that you both specialize in, Would you be able to talk to us about what those are? Perinatal mood and anxiety disorders basically encompass any sort of mental health disorder that's occurring while someone is pregnant or in the postpartum period, which is, some people might not know, it goes up to the first year after a baby is born. These are also diagnoses that have been occurring previous to pregnancy that are just maybe being exacerbated by the experience of pregnancy and the postpartum. Um, So we can see an onset during, but it also could be exacerbation of pre-existing conditions. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And and are they common? I mean, it seems to be, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the greatest misconception um, around them is that they are uncommon or they are bizarre or strange. Um, Actually, one in seven women experience um, a postpartum mood disorder, whether that's postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. It's extremely, extremely common. If you know a woman who's had a baby or who's been pregnant, you probably know a woman who's experienced postpartum depression, anxiety, or OCD. We really want to just get the word out there of just how common these are and how treatable that they are. Absolutely. And that's what's so important, allowing people to understand they're treatable. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's common. And there's so many resources out there for help. Why do we use the term perinatal? So... Would you mind going into a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, I mean, perinatal really just means that this is kind of going all the way from conception. um, And we'll talk a little bit even how we characterize that even before that. But conception all the way to that first year after birth. But we also try to provide services for women that are trying to conceive. So women who may be experiencing infertility. Sometimes that can take years depending on the level of intervention that's needed. So we can kind of even go from just trying to conceive conception, pregnancy, all the way through that first year. So perinatal really is encompassing that large of a period of time. That's so helpful to know because there are so many people that struggle and they're not pregnant yet and they're trying to get there and they 
don't know where to go. That's wonderful to know that there's even help out there. Yeah. No, it's those. a it's a large umbrella. Yes. Basically. And yes. Everybody kind of fits under there. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Why is perinatal mental health so important, would would you say? Well, I think it ties in with how common um, that perinatal mental health disorders are. So first off, it's really important for us to just increase awareness, normalize these experiences and increase access to support and assistance. But the most common complication of pregnancy is depression and anxiety. So, you know, we talk so much about all these other, you know, medical complications. Um, and this is a medical complication. Right. Um, but we don't think of it that way. Right. A lot of the we time. Don't. And we kind of dismiss it a lot of the time as, you know, you're just a little blue or I know a lot of doctors will say, you know, just baby blues and, and things like that, which can be valuable to, you know, reduce the intensity of things sometimes. Of sure. Like, you know, this is a normal transition and there's a lot of difficulty that comes with that. And at the same time, I think it's important to increase awareness of how serious these um, these disorders can be or or how severe these symptoms can feel, especially when you're in one of the most vulnerable times of your entire life. That has to be so helpful for families and loved ones to understand too, the partners in the relationship or, you know, the family members or even other children or, mm -hmm. you know, friends surrounding, you know, these people who may be struggling, so helpful to to them as well to understand and to kind of keep an eye out. Absolutely. I think, well, the more education we try to provide to the community, it, it's not just to the women that we might be working with, but all of the people that support them, not just their loved ones and their relatives, but also their other medical providers. Right. Um, you know, just culturally understanding how to be more supportive of individuals who are making this gigantic role transition and raising the next generation of people. Like, Absolutely. It's important. So important. Who we serve, why we serve, you know, where we're able to serve. First of all, how would somebody get linked? You know, how would that first process even happen? What does that outreach look like? Would you be able to touch on that a little bit? Sure. The, the linkage uh, process is fairly similar to how Horizons is kind of always, so if anyone's familiar with how Horizons, you know, gets people linked, it's fairly similar. So, you know, um, a woman or a loved one or whoever, you know, supporting is going to make that phone call to admissions, kind of let them know, hey, I'm, you know, postpartum or my OBGYN is referring me or, you know, just really struggling. I have a baby or I'm trying to conceive, these kinds of things. And they get them linked with, try and get them linked with a specialist sure. in, in the um, agency. So we work out of Sisters Hospital two days a week. Uh, Diane and I both do. So they might try and link them at Sisters Hospital. Um, but we also, I think Horizons is really trying to push for more specialists within the agency itself. So ideally, I think we'd like to try and have more specialists at each of our locations mm -hmm. so that women who are maybe in the South Towns or, you know, where Sisters just maybe not you know, convenient place to go, right. can still get access to a specialist at one of our other clinics. What do you think keeps women from seeking support or reaching out? I could probably go on that topic for a long time. Um, <laughs> lots of things. I think the way that society kind of portrays motherhood or just, you know, raising a child is kind of really over-normalized. You know, we talk about people having babies and we're just kind of casual about it. Oh, she had a baby. Okay. Oh, she got discharged two days after or three days after she had a C-section. She's, she's good. And we really forget about that this is not like 
it, it shouldn't be over normalized. Right. This is hard work that women are going through. They so, just went through a huge transition huge, in their life. Huge transition. Um, you know, not just even physically, but emotionally. You know, there's a lot of uh, losses that aren't talked about mm-hmm. when, you know, someone becomes uh, a parent. So, you know, because we're kind of over normalizing it, women might think, well, this is just what I'm supposed to go through. Right. It's supposed to be hard. I'm not supposed to sleep. I am supposed to, you know, sacrifice everything in my world to for for this child. And so if that's kind of the belief system, then why would you get help? You this is just this is how it's supposed to be. Right. Um there's still such a stigma around yeah. even asking for help or admitting. Yes. Well, it feels so high stakes, right? You know, uh, there's so much fear, you know, God forbid I mess this up, right? This isn't like, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to paint my living room the wrong color, right? This is raising your child. Right. You know, I think a lot of individuals who are new parents have um, a lot of strong beliefs about how they should be feeling, you know, especially if uh, they were very excited about becoming a parent. You know, there's a whole lot of pressure of, you know, feeling happy about it all the time and acknowledging that there's a whole lot of um, varied emotions that come with becoming a new parent is a really difficult thing for a lot of people to acknowledge, right? There's a whole lot of pressure that we place on. Well, put on a happy face because this is what you wanted after all. Right. Um, Which is not an is not a helpful message. No, no, not at all. No, there's also probably some fears or myths about um, coming to treatment that women believe that if they express certain thoughts, you know, it's not uncommon for women with OCD symptoms to experience like intrusive images of things happening to themselves or the baby. Um, and so there's that fear that if I come into a counseling session and I share this with my counselor, that I'm gonna have CPS on my door the next day, mm-hmm. and that's just not not true. You know, obviously, you know, we have a job to do to make sure everyone's safe, but that's not like an automatic thing when we understand where those thoughts are coming from and the fact that they are intrusive does not mean that women want to hurt their babies. There's a big difference there that people really don't seem to understand all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that is a big fear that women have about coming to treatment is I don't want my kids to get taken away. Right. Right. Or I don't want anyone to misunderstand what Mm -hmm. my asking for help means. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, You know, we, we were talking about this because we were trying to figure out also, like, why why is it hard for a lot of women to call us and, and get linked with help? And so whenever anybody comes in, we make sure to acknowledge how difficult it must have been to take that very first step, especially if someone's never been in counseling prior to this experience. You know, this is maybe something they've never even considered doing before. But when we talk about postpartum mood disorders, you know, what we see in the media most often is not the typical presentation of any type of mood disorder. What we normally see or what gets magnified the most, I'd say, in our culture is really, you know, horrific stories of very, very rare and very uncommon occurrences. So, for example, you know, the movies that you might see about postpartum mood disorders is postpartum psychosis, which is one out of a thousand. Right. Um, and postpartum depression is one in every seven. Right. You know, it's really different. And I think that that's another very common misunderstanding that keeps a lot of people from reaching out for help. Absolutely. Yeah. And so many, and even with mental health in general, so many appear to be quote unquote happy or that smile is on their face. And that doesn't always necessarily mean mm-hmm. that there isn't a need for some additional support. Absolutely. Or assistance. Um, you know, something we were also talking about, we're part of, um, We'll talk about a little bit of resources, I guess, probably later on. There's a a really wonderful Facebook group from 
the organization Postpartum Support International. And it's a closed Facebook group, which means it's kind of monitored by them, these really wonderful moderators. And it's really remarkable to see all these women who are posting for support, asking for help from other women who are going through similar experiences, talking about how difficult this transition has been, talking about the day-to-day difficulty. And they seem very brave, but also very much in pain. And every single one of their profile pictures is a absolutely beaming woman with a beautiful baby. And there's no indication that they are going through the kind of difficulty that they're going through. Right. Because culturally, we have a lot of difficulty expressing that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to make sure people feel okay mm-hmm. expressing it. So barriers to treatment, um, obviously, just the admitting that you might need some additional support is obviously what we just discussed. But what if there's actual logistic barriers? Mm-hmm. So you have a baby. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to leave the house or can you bring the baby? So what are some suggestions, some you know, feedback you can give on those other more logistical barriers mm-hmm. that we might be seeing? Yeah, of course. Um, we actually really encourage women to bring the babies with them. It's, it's a little bit of kind of like part of our assessment to, to kind of observe the bond between mom and baby just to see how is that looking. But we we, we do encourage moms to bring the babies. Um, you know, as they get a little bit older, do they become a little bit distracting? Sure. But we would rather have them in the office than women not coming in and attending their appointments. Sure. Um, so, you know, we make the best of it. You know, it's pretty amazing how much work you can do in a room with, you know, a one-year-old or, you know, as, right. as they age, like it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh. It challenges our clinical skills, but <laughs> hey, right. we can do it. We, yeah. we, we have done it. Um, so <laughs> yeah. we, we really, you know, that's, we really just encourage women to bring the babies and that's kind of how we get through that. And, you know, that often does kind of come up again as another barrier is sure. women have a hard time finding time for themselves because just, mm-hmm. you know, partners are often going back to work much sooner than the moms are. So a lot of them are home alone with the baby. Right. With just maybe not resources to leave the baby. Sure. And we don't want that to be, we don't want to contribute to the problem, mm-hmm. you know, by Absolutely. saying you can't come here with, the, you know, with the baby. Right. Yeah. It just seems to go against what we're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously in those early days, you know, taking the baby out of the house is not something that a lot of new moms want to do. So that's why we always, we try to get women linked as early as possible so that we know them while they're pregnant. Right. Um, and that we can maybe check in over the phone after delivery and, and for the few weeks after, and then have them come in and resume their sessions. That's why ideally they get linked with us, you know, prior to, sure. to delivering. And then they feel that sense of comfort Absolutely. and that sense right. of support. I've got this person. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And we really try to make the, the session as comfortable as we can, you know, so, you know, we encourage breastfeeding in the session if that's mm-hmm. something that they want to do. So there's no like, well, I have to get in and get out of here. Even if I do the bring the babies, I got to feed them. You can feed the baby here if you'd like to. Like that's, wow. we're totally fine with that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we, we try to make the, the session as comfortable to make sure everyone's needs are getting met. Um, so women don't even really need to force themselves to, to get in and get out. Right. Um, especially in those early days when you're just trying to figure out how to get a baby out of the house. Right. It's not right. And your task. timing and everything yes. is scheduled, right? Yes. So yes. that's totally. so and helpful to know. Yeah. And it's frantic. So mm-hmm. we try to remove that as much as possible. Something we were talking about also with regard to par- uh, partners also maybe needing treatment or benefiting from treatment. Something we encourage our, our patients to do is to bring their partner to a session or two um, just so that partner can get some education around this, uh, education around 
what to look for, warning signs, uh, ways to be reinforcing all the good things that we're trying to do. But also just so we can also get eyes on partners sometimes because partners also can experience what we would consider postpartum depression or anxiety. And that was going to be my next question, Mm -hmm. right? Because although physically they're not on the same path with them for the most part, they are by their side Mm -hmm. living with this transition. Yeah. You know, everything but the hormonal change is still happening for them, right? right? All Such this a good role point. transition. And for many people who are not the gestational parent, they don't have as much time to kind of take with the baby, to bond with the baby. Um, and that brings its own set of challenges. Right. Yeah. And if you, if you hear the number, it's actually quite astonishing. It's actually, in, and most research is done with heterosexual couples. So a lot of this, this research is, is for men. Um, but we would imagine the numbers are just as high for any other minority couple. But, you know, it's one in 10, one in wow. 10 men. And it's only one in seven for women yeah. to Not experience that big it. Of a difference. Yeah. Not at all. So one in 10, it's, 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 yeah, it's quite significant. It's quite significant. I was really surprised when I heard that statistic because it's just not something I'd ever heard before. Right. Um, and I think it calls to attention just how much more support could probably be appreciated by mm-hmm. that population. And I wonder just how much better at supporting new moms partners would be if they also felt supported Absolutely. and they weren't necessarily expected to like, well, you didn't, you know, give birth to the kids. So why don't you just cheer up? <laughs> That's so, so unhelpful. Right. Um, and so we're trying to just normalize like this is a major role transition for everyone. This is a major change in your priorities. This is a major change in your time to take care of yourself, a major change in your relationship. So we're just trying to like really also take a kind of couple's stance on this too, of like, how do we strengthen relationships the best that we can so that we can help our clients have partners that support them and vice versa. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, men in general will have a more difficult time accessing mental health treatment just in general, Mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, there's a lot of a stigma, but especially when they've become a dad for the first time, there's that pressure to have to be the rock. How I right. can't be in treatment. My I need to be here for my partner. Like she's struggling. Um, I gotta be that tough person to see her through this. And we just know that that's you're human at the end of the day. We all have thresholds. And once we reach those thresholds, you know, it's kind of hard to come back from that on your own. Men's presentations will look a little bit different from women. They might just appear more checked out. You know, these are the complaints we'll hear from women about, you know, he just doesn't seem interested Mm -hmm. in me or the baby. He's always wanting, he's staying late at work. He doesn't, he's going out with friends. He's just, you know, uh, he's just worried about money. He's worried about money. He's hanging out in the man cave all day. (laughs) Sure. And that's what that looks like. That's that postpartum depression in men. And we just, we will write that off as just being disinterested. And that may not necessarily be the case. They just may be struggling and processing differently, right? How she's processing what's happening. And again, probably still a strong stigma, like you were saying, around that partner reaching out. Absolutely. Because just the stigma that surrounds mental health in general and let alone, you know, when you become a parent. Right. I mean, if there's stigma around um, uh, a new mom seeking treatment, you better believe there's stigma around a new dad seeking treatment. Absolutely. So we're trying to talk about it as much as we can until everyone gets so tired of it. It's super normal. Right. Yeah. And everybody is reaching out (laughs) for that support. Right. So important. So let's talk about what you both feel are some of the most effective treatment approaches to perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. You know, you touched on a little bit what you go over in session, whether it's with a mom and the baby and, you know, the couple 
together. What are some effective approaches? Is medication involved? So if you wouldn't mind touching a little bit on that. Sure. I mean, I'll start with the medications because that does kind of tying back to some of the barriers is that a lot of women believe that they'll be forced to be on medications. And while people aren't forced to be on medications, we just kind of encourage people to have that, you know, be open about that. Because just depending on the severity of symptoms, that could be part of, you know, our recommendation to say, you know, this, this could be really beneficial and you getting better. But Certainly medications can be utilized. A lot of women will have concerns because, you know, uh, there is a big push for breastfeeding. So there are, you know, more moms that are attempting to breastfeed. So that's a concern of, you know, can I take these medications while I'm breastfeeding? And, you know, we have specialized um, providers that are very knowledgeable in that. You know, we work with Angela Roche over at Broadway. She's extremely knowledgeable to where she's going to prescribe things that are going to be safe. And I think that's important for for women to know. Mm-hmm. So important. Yeah. You're keeping their safety top of mind. Yep. You want those questions to be answered. You will answer them. Yep. All common questions, all common concerns from a mom's standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. You know, safety is is a big conversation. We sometimes dismiss the risk to babies, to families, and to women themselves when we pretend that their safety is not at risk when they're this symptomatic. And so if symptoms are very severe or there are even lethality concerns, um, you know, medication is going to be strongly recommended. No one's ever forced to do anything that they're not comfortable with doing in treatment. That's a strong belief of both of us. And at the same time, I think it's important to recognize that there is also risk involved when a woman is not able to feel the way she would like to feel or to parent the way she would like to parent. And there's risk to both herself and her baby when that's the case. So effective treatment approaches are exactly that. They're effective. And all of these conversations are had constantly, right? So there's never a take this, let's not talk about it, right? There's let's talk about it. We're going to take the time right? um, because that's really important. Right. And everybody's different. Everybody's treatment's going to be different. Exactly. Medication's going to be different. And that's why talking about it over and over again right, is right. going to be so beneficial. Right. One size does not fit all here. Right. And so with regard to other effective treatment approaches, obviously Amber and I are both counselors. So this is what we do all day. We gab and we listen and we talk and we talk and we educate. Uh, we normalize. I mentioned acceptance and commitment therapy earlier on. In yeah. Could you this, touch on that a yeah, little bit? Um, so acceptance and commitment therapy is this type of therapy based on willingness and acceptance, identifying what is valuable to each of us very personally and kind of making a decision to be present in the moment the best that we can while being willing to accept difficult or distressing emotions at times, which we know babies can illicit Mm -hmm. um, um, in the service of things that matter to us, basically. And so it's the practice of saying, because this matters to me, there are going to be things that come up in this territory that are challenging, and I'm willing to experience those because this is important to me. Right. So that's just one aspect of effective treatment. Um, uh, We talk a lot about, you know, kind of CBT. We challenge distorted thoughts. In, in therapy, especially with new moms, a lot of times very generalized thoughts of like, I'm having this moment where I, I love my baby, but I don't really like him very much right now. And that must mean I'm a bad mom, right? And we know, of course, right now sitting in this room, we know that that's a distorted thought. But if right. a mom's alone and she's been alone for six hours today because her partner left for work, you know, earlier this morning and this baby won't stop crying, that thought doesn't sound so distorted. It sounds like the truth. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. CBT, you mentioned. What, oh, what is that? No, that's yeah. okay. If you could <laughs> just expand on that. Clinical lingo, sorry, lingo here. Yes, that's um, okay. It stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's this connection between our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors. And okay. So the idea of we can change one, it can help impact and change the other two components, kind of forming a triangle. And just to kind of piggyback off you, Diana, the thing that came up that we probably spent a, a lot of time talking about with moms is the mom guilt mm-hmm. um, and trying to learn to be more compassionate with ourselves and, you know, allowing ourselves to make mistakes, you know, there we are wired for our survival to to know some basics of like I want to keep this baby alive, but we really don't come with the skills of being a parent. That is really right. something we learn to do. So as you go, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, as you go. So you're not gonna, you know, day one have all the answers, and that feels really uncomfortable. So a lot of the work that we do is, you know, as you mentioned, educating, um, but just helping adjust to this new role, learning ways of changing those thoughts about the mom guilt, and just you know, the expectations of what a, a good parent is. Yeah. is we really have high expectations for ourselves right. as parents. And again, the media really, really right. is kind of the to blame for that. Yeah. So that's some of the, the big work that we do. Um, and communication is huge. Learning to ask for what you need. It is so hard mm-hmm. as a new parent to say to someone, I'm struggling. Can you please help me? Oh, totally. right. I mean, you, so many of, you know, my friends and family members who have had babies, you know, Oh, just let me know when you need help. I'll be there. Well, no one's going to reach out and ask. People struggle with that so much. We struggle with that whether you have a child or not, right? Asking for help, you know, admitting that you're not perfect at that, right? And so to be that mom, to have to ask for help and recognize that, you know, you might need that additional support is such a barrier. Absolutely. You know, we talk. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. But, you know, it's. Old habits die hard, sure. right? And if you're not sure. the kind of person that is usually going to be the person to ask for help, you're not going to just suddenly snap your fingers and become that right. when you become a parent. <laughs> Something Amber mentioned earlier, which was like this grief and loss around some of the maybe lost roles and maybe lost um, hobbies or things that you might have used to enjoy before you were a parent. When you're a new parent, those are not things that you get to indulge in as much anymore. It doesn't mean that that's gone for you, but you know, with all the wonderful stuff that becoming a new parent brings, it also comes with some loss and grieving the loss of who you were before you were a parent is a very important thing to do. And it's something we do not talk Mm -hmm. about enough. And in session, that's something that we talk about with a lot of our clients and it's something they find really a lot of the time. I find that it's something that they have really struggled to verbalize mm-hmm. outside of session because they feel so worried about if I express this out loud, is someone going to think that I'm not grateful to have my baby right. or is someone going to mm-hmm. think that I don't love my baby? And of course that's not the case. It's that right. how wonderful this is. And also, yeah. Right. And also, right. Yeah. You've lost that. And you've gained also. this and also, mm-hmm. you know, and I think so, right. that's an important thing to conceptualize with people. Well, and to use that term grief and loss for, for something like that, it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And I would have never thought that until mm-hmm. you use that term. You know, you're a different person now. Yeah. Right. It's not a bad thing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just different. It's and just different. but yeah. you might have lost something that yeah. you were prior. And some totally. of that work is just trying to find that balance again. You've not you're not a different person, but you have this new part of you, the parent part that wasn't there before, mm-hmm. that takes up a lot of space, at least especially in those first several months, right? Um, because babies just demand a lot from you. Right. Um, but over time of being able to reintegrate those parts so that like your parent part 
isn't the only part that's functioning all the time. If you were someone that really enjoyed going out and having dinner with friends and enjoyed crafts or, you know, worked or right. you know, whatever mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. how do we kind of get you to a place where all those parts are being, a, you know, attuned to so the person feels a little bit more balanced? Right. Um, because some women feel like once they become a mom, that's like, that's all that I am. Right. And My that's, new identity. Yes. Yeah. And that's a big part of your identity, but it's not like who you are mm-hmm. in whole. Sure. Um, role you play. It's a role you play, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's really important too. So it's hard to that's really, such a great way to put it. Yeah. It's hard to like really put labels on exactly what we do, but you know, that's, it's a lot of just being present with them and, and validating and, and just, you know, normalizing. Just normalizing. Yeah. Right? We have yeah. this great book that we both bought as soon as we knew it existed called good moms have scary thoughts. And it's, a wonderful book. I recommend it to anybody who's listening. Um, and it's illustrated. So it's like super easy to read. And it's the most normalizing book I've ever read in my life. Just every single scary, unpleasant, distorted, or just absolutely outlandish thought that a mom might have ever expressed herself. And it's saying like, it's written in a book, so it must right. not be only you. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's so valuable to see. Um, it is. You know, it can't be you alone because, hey, look, it's here. Exactly. And it's a bestseller, so it must be pretty popular. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you touched on another part that we really try to put a lot of focus on is uh, social connection. Mm. A lot of women believe, and, and this goes for just mental health in general, a lot of people believe that what they're going through is just unique to them. But it's, it's not an isolated situation. No, definitely not. And so we really try to work to get women to connect with other women that are going through the same thing. So there are several support groups in the community. Diana, I'll let you speak about you know your group mm-hmm. um, that you're working to get going. Um, but Horizons is trying to start get more groups going specifically for this population. It just does wonders when women are surrounded by other women who just get it. Yep, you absolutely. know, um, that's yeah. so important. Well, there's something so valuable about knowing you're not alone. Yes. You know, what could be more cathartic than that? Right. And knowing like, Oh, I'm not alone. You've been through this or you're going through it too. And we're in this together. Right. Um, there's just something so validating about that. Right. And for a lot of um, new parents who maybe are on maternity leave or taking time off of work, think about huge change in routine, so much less social interaction, except you're interacting with, you know, this screaming baby for hours a day and maybe not talking to another adult until later on in the evening for as long as you can stay awake, you know, there's such a huge change in routine and such a huge change in connection. And yes. so any way that we can enhance that, the better. So there's in-person support groups. Like I said, there's that really wonderful postpartum support international Facebook group. There are um, online support groups from other organizations as well. Um, so, you know, there's a ton of resources that we would just like to disseminate the best that we can. Absolutely. Yeah. So try to fit every sort of need exactly. that's out there, depending yeah. on what your situation might be. Absolutely. So you guys touched a lot on the partners and perhaps them reaching out for help as well. But what would you suggest are some signs and symptoms to look for in maybe a perinatal mood, anxiety disorder, you know, even from a partner, from a family member. 
So this can be really broad just depending on what diagnosis is popping up. Okay. Um, and I'll start with, we may not go super in depth, but just uh, since depression is very common, but you know, I'll highlight some other symptoms. So there is a difference between, and there's this term called baby blues that kind of gets thrown around. I think we've even mentioned it a few times. So I'll highlight the difference between baby blues and postpartum depression. Baby blues usually occurs in those first two weeks where women might be more tearful, sad, maybe just not feeling the greatest, but it's relatively low in intensity just from hormones, you know, the body's kind of readjusting. Mm -hmm. But when it kind of starts to shift to more depression, that's when we're seeing it kind of go beyond the two weeks and it's getting worse. So it's not getting, baby blues will get better. Depression will get worse. Okay. Um, so they're having difficulty getting out of bed. Okay. They're having difficulty, you know, sleeping. And that's not just because of the baby. Like when the baby is sleeping, they're not sleeping. They just have a difficult time doing things around the house or just in general that maybe they're not getting dressed. They may be expressing thoughts about, you know, just, uh, well, I don't know why we had a baby. This, you know, this isn't what I thought it would be like. Or you the know. baby might be better off without me. That mm-hmm. would be a huge warning sign. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, so suicidal ideation can be something where, and it can be subtle like that, mm-hmm. or um, it can be more of a, I just, I just want to die. And so that's some of the pattern that we'll see. Okay. For anxiety, we might see a lot more um, checking, like getting up. They're very worried about the baby, so they might not let other people hold the baby. They might be getting up multiple times at night, checking on the, if the baby's breathing, um, even though the baby's fine. Um, so they're not sleeping because they're constantly worried about how the baby is. So it's a lot of anxiety centered on the baby. They may spend a lot of time online just constantly Googling things or calling okay. doctors a lot. Um, and it just seems more than what this person usually is, you know, that level of anxiety just doesn't seem like normal for them. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, postpartum OCD is, is kind of similar in presentation to postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of hypervigilance, that checking behavior, you know, OCD, it, postpartum OCD, anxiety and depression. The interesting thing about them, of course, is that they are not so different from, uh, I want to say garden variety, depression, anxiety, and OCD in the sense that They are very similar, but they are occurring in and around the perinatal period. And of course, a lot of the symptoms are going to pertain to or impact the caregiving or the adjustment into parenthood. Okay. And so, of course, OCD symptoms will center a lot around the baby. Anxiety symptoms will center a lot around the baby's health and wellness or safety, how other people care for the baby, how the new mom herself might care for her baby, right? Okay, oh, I have right. to do it exactly this way right. or else something bad might happen. We see a lot of intrusive thoughts. I think Amber mentioned that earlier. Um, this is something we're really working on normalizing a lot more with women, especially because for most of them, when you experience an intrusive thought, and I think all of us have probably experienced an intrusive thought at some point in our lives. For example, if you ever, you know, stood at the top of something tall, like, you know, stood near Niagara Falls and thought about throwing your cell phone into the water, right? And you go, why would I have that thought? That's so weird. I don't want to throw my phone into the water. Right. That's an intrusive thought. And intrusive thoughts are something that happen a lot um, with postpartum OCD. So women are more vulnerable to thinking those kinds of thoughts. And those are often the kinds of thoughts that are especially difficult to express, especially when they aren't necessarily about throwing your cell phone in the water, but throwing something a lot more precious Mm -hmm. into the water, for example. And a lot of women are very fearful of it being misunderstood that that's actually something they are thinking about doing, or it might really frighten them of why would I even have thoughts like that? I love my baby. I care for my baby. That's the last thing I want. Often intrusive thoughts are a manifestation of, of fear, right? Sure. You know, this is exactly what I don't want to have happen. So my brain keeps bringing it back up. Right. Um, it's really unpleasant. I mean, imagining just thinking about it now, it sounds very unpleasant, right? Yes. And so a lot of times 
what women will do is just try to kind of suppress those and maybe say like, why am I crazy? What's wrong with me? If I just, you know, distract myself or pretend this isn't happening, it'll just stop. But it's usually not what happens. We just need to kind of talk out loud about them. And the better we're able to do that, the less kind of uh, takes the wind out of the sails of those thoughts. Absolutely. That makes sense. That makes total Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Counseling and medication are extremely effective yes. um, at treating every single one of these perinatal anxiety, mood and anxiety disorders that we're talking about. Treatment is very effective. So the problem of, I don't know what to do about this, that can be resolved right right here and now. Right. So there is something to do. So now we can do something. Right. Yeah. And so would a partner be able to call and ask questions and perhaps set up an appointment? for themselves to even just come in by themselves initially, right? Maybe the mom isn't ready yet, but mm-hmm. if the partner is. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I can honestly say I, I haven't had that occurrence at this time just yet, but I'll, absolutely. I don't, I couldn't see myself turning somebody away who, who needs support. Um, I feel like just kind of goes against my nature right. as, as mm-hmm. being in this field. So yeah, absolutely. If the mom wasn't ready, they just needed support on how to get their partner support. Yeah. That, yeah, absolutely. Or if a partner said, you know, I'm concerned about my about, you know, the new mom in my life, I'd like to, you know, access help, maybe making an appointment and saying, hey, I'm going to this counseling appointment. Want to come with me? Right. <laughs> Want to bring the baby, make it a family affair. <laughs> right. Um, that would be a dream for mm-hmm. us. I mean, mm-hmm. I would I would be thrilled to see that. That would be wonderful. Um, you know, come one, come all. Right. Absolutely. Like, you know, having the support network involved in treatment right off the bat is Every counselor's dream, yes. honestly. That's what we're looking for. Yes. We try to involve family and friends as much as a new mom feels comfortable with as much as possible. Because like we said, you know, well, I don't know if we said this, but the culture says this, right? It takes a village and that's yes. not just a little trope. Like it's true. <laughs> right. And, you know, if we're seeing a client for 45 minutes a week, that's great, but that's nothing compared to how many hours they're spending at home. And, you know, reinforcing everything that we're trying to work on at home and having everybody on board is really what gives it the best shot at being as effective as it can be. Right. And treatment and support is part of that village. Absolutely. Right. The right time to get linked, the right time to make the call. Obviously, there's never a perfect time, but I know you mentioned earlier, you know, while they're pregnant or even before mm-hmm. conception if they're if they're having problems. So probably a loaded question if you will, but any time is really the right time. Right. As early as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I we talk about this, you know, not just even in the context of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, right? But we want people who are struggling to come to therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz these resources are available. And so if you're thinking of becoming a parent and you already notice that you have certain vulnerability factors or struggle with some of these things, let's get started, right? There's no time that's too early. Um, There's also no time that's too late either, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, oh my goodness, I had my child three years ago and I really should have been linked then. And I realize now how challenging this has been and how much more supported that I could have been. All right, let's come on in and try to make up for some lost time. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. so great to know. I think we just put a focus on as soon as you start to notice something isn't feeling right, mm-hmm. um, come come get support. Sure, you know. But yeah, good good point. It's you know anytime is good, mm-hmm. um, and it's never too late. Right. 
We're trying to also educate other medical providers, especially ones who who see women who are either going through a fertility process or who they're seeing for regular, you know, prenatal visits, right, to be asking these questions and to be referring liberally, right? Because right. there's absolutely no harm in saying, you know, I've just noticed that you seem a little down. I thought I might offer you this referral. Like there is no harm in that. And we're just trying right. to increase awareness the best that we can. Diana and Amber, thank you so much for sitting with us today and really helping all of us understand and normalize is what you really did. You really helped normalize, you know, what perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are and the resources that are out there and how much treatment does help. Mm -hmm. And that support and connection is so important. So thank you both so much for taking the time. And I have a feeling that we'll be doing this again very soon. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks so much. We appreciate you tuning in today. We hope this episode provided you with not only available resources right here in your community, but continued conversation around the importance of mental health and supportive connections. If you or someone you know is in need of getting some questions answered, please don't hesitate to call our admissions team at 716-831-1800. Be sure to subscribe to Heart to Heart to stay up to date on the latest resources and education around topics that matter most to our community. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram to stay connected to Horizon. Thank you again for listening.